This is Hops and Spirits Bar Conversations. Come for the craft beer, bourbon, whiskey, and great drinks. Stay for the conversations. Here's your host, Jonathan Green. Welcome in. Happy Thanksgiving week. Hope you get to spend some time with friends, family, loved ones. And if it's after Thanksgiving, happy day. I hope you're having a great one. We've got a great episode for you this week. We'll be talking with Fred Minnick, one of the foremost experts in bourbon. Talk about Repeal Day, his career, how I got into all this. It's a fun chat. And also just because, you know, we're getting into the holiday seasons. Uh, you know, last week on Tasting Notes, we talked about uh, pairing food and drinks. This time, buying bourbon as gifts, things to do, what what not to do with Chad Watson, a.k.a. My Daily Bourbon. I hope you have a lot of fun, and uh, hope you enjoy. It's almost time. Where did I, where, where did I put those? Here they are. <laughs> it's time for Tasting Notes. It's time for another Tasting Notes, and joining me this time is Chad Watson, a.k.a. My Daily Bourbon. He's also, uh, you can hear him on the uh, Bourbon Life podcast. He's part of that crew. Chad, welcome in. Hey, thanks for having me, man. It's good to have you back. We had you in over the summer for some summer school talking about starting whiskey collections. So, you know, I figure this it's perfect time. We're getting into the holiday season. You know, Thanksgiving's almost here. And people are probably thinking about some Christmas gifts or, you know, gifts for the season maybe to take take to parties whatever so i figured let's do some do's and don'ts with buying bourbon or whiskey so i guess uh, first off what's your thought on bourbon and whiskey as a gift uh i mean i'm perfectly fine with it as a gift uh my girlfriend the first bottle she ever gifted me was angel's envy um and then one year for christmas she got me jim beam distiller's cut which is when i discovered how much i love jim beam distiller's cut um very upset that it's gone and i can't get any more but uh, I mean, there are some people who would probably be like, oh, I only drink high end fine bourbon, and this person got me Evan Williams. Blah. But I mean, I'm for it. Now, there, there are some things that I'm like, you should probably never do that. Well, then, then so, so if you're for it, I guess one, you should always know who you're buying for. If they are that high end person, maybe don't do, do don't, don't get into the, trying to buy them a, a bourbon. But what are maybe a, a do or things to look for when you're buying someone a bourbon or whiskey? If it's someone you know um, and, you're, and you're with them regularly or you see them on the occasional basis, kind of check out what they've got on their shelf, do some research, um, ask questions. I mean, anyone who drinks bourbon on a regular basis, if you, if they, if you ask them, hey, uh, what's something you'd like to drink but wouldn't buy yourself? Now, if they say something like Pappy 23, then, I mean... And you do the research on that, and you're like, "Oh my god!" You know, um, you, you you that's out of the league. But if they're like, "Oh, you know, a Weller Antique or something like that," and you go to a liquor store and like, "Hey, my friend likes Weller Antique. What's close?" You know, they could suggest Maker's Castrings, uh, Rebel Castrings Store Pick, um, Rebel 100, 10 Year. If that's if that's out at that time, um, I mean, those those are the kind of questions. And don't be afraid to ask people at the store. Um, Coming from someone who does work in a liquor store, don't be afraid to ask those kind of questions because I love talking to people about that and entertaining that um, the idea that there are things out there to kind of make up for what the allocations that person wants. Um, I mean, Maker's Cash Strength is my number one recommendation for anyone looking for a high-proof weeder, and it gets so overlooked. And look, now people, there's a Maker's DNA coming out. The first bottle in that edition is 110 proof. Maker's Original Cash Strength that you can buy on the shelf at 40 bucks starts at 110 proof so i mean you just ask those questions and maybe you could save money on on items like that 
So, you know, obviously people love to get gifts. It's nice to have that special surprise, you know, with something that they, they might not have been thinking about. But with a, there's always the danger. So what are some of the don'ts, things people need to watch out for when buying gifts for bourbon lovers, whiskey lovers? Uh, whiskey stones. Um, so if you are a whiskey fan, you have probably experienced whiskey stones at some point in your whiskey career. Um, honestly, I, I, I don't know that anyone has ever gotten them for me but I've gotten them for myself um, because early on in my whiskey journey, I was like, oh, these sound cool. You know, at some point in time, everyone drinks, uh, drinks their whiskey either on ice, they drink it cold or they mix it with something and they're going through that. No one just goes right into like, I'm drinking barrel proof neat. It just doesn't happen. Um, but I did get some for myself. I didn't care for them. It's just kind of a hassle like to, to wash them after every time you use them and then put them back in the freezer and go through that. But uh, I have been the person to gift, like my dad, I gifted him Whiskey Stones one year when he was getting into whiskey. Um, I'm sorry, Dad. I, I, <laughs> You've learned. <laughs> yeah, I, now I know better. But uh, there's all too many times people come in and talk to me at work or like I'll have people DM me on Instagram and they'll send me like gift sets off Amazon. Like, you know, that box looks cool and it's nice that it comes with glassware and stuff, but it's, you know, those, those things are neat. Um, look at, look at those kind of things. Um, now I don't know how practical it is all as nice as those boxes are on Amazon. No one has anywhere to store them. No one just has a, a space to store a box this big with two glasses in it, uh, or some whiskey stones in there. Uh, my next big thing is don't buy secondary. Like just do, do not buy secondary unless you are just someone who has that kind of, um, you know, bank account to support that. There's no need to go out and spend $200 on a bottle of Blanton's because that's what your husband, your wife, girlfriend's, father's, uncle wants for Christmas. I mean, it's, there's so many other things out there that are better than that. Or I don't want to say better than that, that are better options than spending $200 on that. Because um, they may re really like Blanton's, and that's perfectly fine. There's no reason to go spend 200 bucks on a bottle of whiskey for someone that costs 60 to 70 bucks. And that's, that's my biggest thing is talking to someone today... Um, yeah, I'm looking for bottle XYZ. Uh, you know, I see that about three to four times a year on occasion. Uh, well, I passed it up on Facebook for 150 bucks. I said, unless you know that they love it for 150 bucks, you have $150 to just throw away at it. Um, don't do that on a $40 bottle. Um, you know, it's check this store, this store, I mean, do this. Uh, or here's another alternative from that distillery. Here's a really good option. Um, or... Just keep keep trying. Don't give up yet. Don't go spend one hundred and fifty dollars unless time is money to you, and you'd rather spend the the money than the time. I would never suggest going secondary. Well, and there's just a whole plethora of other issues on secondary as well that you you have to watch out for. So I guess for for my last question, because I always this is something that you guys do very well. It's your, your your liquor store that you work at, and a lot of them do too. Is a store pick? Is that a good idea, or can that be you got to watch? It depends on the store. Um, if you're someone who's well-versed in store picks, then absolutely um, great gifts. It's a it's unique to that store. Um, that store picked it, or they, they had it picked just for that store. Um, but never, never just go in and say, or tell someone, hey, I want something unique. And if someone comes into me, I'm going to say, hey, store picks are unique to me. They're unique to my store. I picked them. So let's have picked them in Louisville or I sent my friend and supervisor to go pick them. But uh, 
where I work, we price things reasonably. That's not the case for everyone. Um, I mean, there are some people who will take a pick that costs 60 bucks and they'll sell it for 120 because they don't know if anyone's gonna buy that pick, so they wanna make their money back as quick as possible. Um, so it's really, that's another thing you have to do your research on, but ask around, you know, don't just go to the first liquor store, I'm gonna buy that. Um, shop around, if they let you try it, you try it. If you like it, you think that person will like it, then go for it. Um, if, if you don't mind to call that person and say, hey, do you like bourbon so-and-so, and they, they say yes, um, cool. And if that store's got a store pick of it, take that because that's that's how I found my love for um, Russell's picks is I had someone give me one of those um, as a gift one time and I, I love Russell's 10-year and that stuck, um, sent me down this path of just, all right, I'm going to go to this store. They've got a Russell's pick. I'm going to get that one. I'm going to go to this store. they got a Russell's pick. I'm going to get that one. All right, I get to try this one. I'm going to get two of those. And and then that that was a, that's a whole nother deal. And then there's a few whiskeys I've done that with, but I've tried to slow that down. But uh, but again, it goes back to just you know ask the questions, uh, see what they like, and just uh, you you know don't be afraid to ask. And who knows, you might be able to find a nice gift for somebody. And and Chad, thanks for sharing a little bit of do's and don'ts on on uh, bourbon and whiskey for the holidays. Hey, no problem. Appreciate you for having me, man. Remember to check out Hops and Spirits on social media at Hop Spirits, all one word, on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and Twitter. You can also find Hops and Spirits on YouTube and at Hops Spirits. Joining us now on the Bar Conversations podcast is a man the bourbon world, really the drinking world, should should know just by seeing that lovely ascot. We have Fred Minnick, best-selling author, bourbon curator, taster, host of the Fred Minnick Show, also part of the Bourbon Pursuit crew. Fred, thanks for taking some time to, to talk bourbon and bourbon and a few more things with us. Yeah, what's up, Mr. Green? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. I, I will say this. I, I was nervous to actually drink any bourbon because I'm, my palate is nowhere near yours. So I decided well, to you do gotta, the, I mean, You got to train yourself, man. You know, well, that's, yourself, I'm, I'm working on it. Don't beat but, yourself up now. Come but, on. But so I thought I'd be smart since, you know, hops and spirits. I went with something that's a bourbon barrel ale. So I got oh, okay. I got a I got some uh, Lexington Brewing Company yeah, uh, bourbon solid. barrel strawberry ale. So, yeah, solid stuff right there. So now, I have a question for you. Like I've always been fascinated with people's with the last name Green mm-hmm. who have an E on the end of it. Do, do you, did anyone ever tell you like how you got an E and how it, it wasn't uh, just green without an E? Like I, weird stuff like that fascinates me. I no, but I have been called every version of Green uh, <laughs> throughout oh, wait, my how life. Do you, how do you mess up the pronunciation of Green? Well, they'll throw like the E, you know, they'll think the E's on there. I mean, th- my favorite part is, though, the, th- it's not always the, the pronunciation, it's the spellings. They screw up Jonathan and Green all the time. I can see Jonathan, but Green, uh, yeah, I, I can yeah. see that too. Yeah, I, I guess it's just confusing. I don't, I don't. Well, I think <laughs> bottom, you know, human nature at, at some point in our lives, we're all lazy. And, you know, maybe you're just catching people in, in that moment. So, it, it but I'm excited be. to be here with yeah. a green with an E. I, 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 again, we got to, I'm going to have to look that up because I, no. I know I've got European history, like Germany and, 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 you know, English somewhere mm-hmm. over there. I just don't know. Uh, my, my mom has done some digging, but I, I, I just don't know. I don't Maybe it was just always that way. They had a, you know, a little extra money, bought an extra E and that's how it's always been. Yeah, that's you know the whiskey with an E and without an E. It's uh, the maybe e we will... took the extra E. 
maybe <laughs> maybe that's it <laughs> well i'm no, glad no. to be here well we appreciate i appreciate you being here what what's what's in your glass tonight uh you know um i was so i'm hobbled as i mentioned i i um I'm, i have an achilles injury i didn't have a full rupture but i have like a slight tear in it's inflamed uh and i got um uh, I, when i called in my camera wasn't working i was like i do this uh, hundreds of times you know for my own show and everything so i was like what the hell's going on with my camera yeah you know, i'm like having this like pissed off fit uh in my brain and i had the damn thing recording and you know you can't you know for those listening or watching you can't record and then use your camera as a streaming device at the same time. It's like, it, it's like oil and water. It doesn't work with the computer. It doesn't jive with the HDMI cable. And so I just fixed that. And I, and then on my per, way back to my seat, I tripped and hit my foot that's injured. I was like, fuck, this hurt. I need something good to make me feel better. <laughs> And so I grabbed the uh, the Remus uh, repeal, the Remus repeal, the the fifth uh, edition. So it's so good. Uh, that's a that's a good way to make you you feel a little better on a on a rough day. Uh, you you mentioned uh, you know for those watching, you can see the lovely bourbon collection behind you behind me. You see a lovely picture of flowers. It's a nice one. Is that a Monet? Uh, I don't believe so. It may maybe a money. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> but how, how did you become this bourbon man? Because, you know, everyone knows you now as the, you know, with everything you do from events and so forth. But how did all of this get started? Uh, it all starts, uh, you know, in a tour. I, get, I got home from a, a tour in Iraq and, and I'm having a real tough go. And um, I'm I'm dating this beautiful woman from Kentucky ended up moving down here and I got a job as a as a food editor for a uh, a trade publication in the restaurant industry and I basically just I, I started writing about food and I started writing about alcohol around the same time and you know that had been in 2005 2006 and then at the same time I was having a lot of um I, I call them war demons, you know, so these are things that, you know, anyone who has served in combat uh, or has experienced combat or experienced any kind of like uh, prominent trauma will have reminders and they will have nightmares. And and that was kicking my ass for for lack of better phrase. And um, I, I had to I had to focus on myself. And I, I quit that job so I could get some some high level, you know, therapy. And at the same time, you know, I had to make a living and I was freelancing um, and I was a freelance writer. And one of the first things I wrote about was the Kentucky Bourbon Trail. And it was for a little magazine called Successful Meetings. And it, um, you know, that was in 2006. The story would be published in 2007. And I get, um, I just keep writing about it. And I think I, at the time I was covering wine as well. And I was covering, I mean, I was covering how to make cement and how to like do your lawn. I was doing anything 
that I could do for a magazine or a newspaper. I was a stringer for the sports section of the Courier Journal. I mean, I was just, I, I would write. You were working anything. hard. I was, you were working hard. <laughs> I've always been a hard worker, but this was a time in. You're working hard, and I'm making 50 bucks for a story. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, you you go and bust your ass for 50 bucks. Like, you know, you when you're a writer, everyone had everyone pays their dues like that. Like, there's mm-hmm. very it, it's very rare someone is like gets the gets the wand of Penguin Publishing their way. <laughs> And suddenly, all the roses and manuscripts are opened up for them. Oh, this it, that doesn't happen that way in writing. Like you have to hustle. And if I've ever been anything, it's a hustler. And uh, I've worked hard. And and during that time, you know, I was writing about all these things, but I was also in um, in therapy. And in therapy, um, one of the techniques that I learned that kind of helped me, you know helped me break away from a lot of those war demons was a taste mindfulness where I would put like a, like a barbecue potato chip on my tongue. I would crunch it. I would, I would feel the, the texture, uh, the salt, uh, how the, how the chip crunched in my, in my mouth. And it, um, it, it was just like for the first time I was like connecting my tongue, my palate to my brain and I was able to apply that to, to bourbon. So I was covering bourbon and wine uh, and also tasting it. You can't cover this industry without tasting the stuff. Mm-hmm. If you do, you're pretty, no pun intended, you're a pretty dry rider uh, in the space if, you, if you're not, not tasting. And so I noticed that that technique that I was using in therapy was helping me trace and find notes and that'd be a part of like training my palate um and that was you know 2000 between 2006 and 2010 and in that time frame and and i get to um um i i get to like having this curiosity about about whiskey at a much much deeper level um you know for one i would i would ask the questions why how is it made you know today like you know you go on social media and there's like everybody's like you know rampant wanting to call everything out and everything but back then there really was not um you know people doing that there were a couple writers who would but they were just that writers and it would live in a it would live in like a, on a blog and be kind of shared in a vacuum i took a very like a uh, journalistic approach toward bourbon and I got sources inside distilleries to tell me the real mash bills, uh, the ages, where stuff came from. Some distilleries would just flat out cooperate and give me the information I requested. And but it was a time of no transparency. And I was uh, I was always like knocking on the door trying to learn more information. And along that way, I was like, why isn't anyone talking about women? And the, uh, the background of the women, the, the history of women in the space. And it was fascinating. And it's sad that uh, that I had to be the one who write this book to write this book. But the first book I wrote about um, whiskey was Whiskey Women. It was mm-hmm. the story of how, um, you know, women have always been in whiskey and scotch, Irish, bourbon, all of it. 
and you know i would go to these distillers and i'd ask him about the stories of the women and their history and they didn't have them they didn't know them and so my method of telling the story of bourbon has always been through government records tax records lawsuits things that haven't been through the marketing purview and sullied with you know mbas trying to spin a yarn to sell a bottle you know mm -hmm. i have always been about like getting as close to like real fact as possible and and that's where whiskey women came from was just you know seeing that no one had told the story and finding all these incredible women that had um you know made a dent in the whiskey industry and so that book came out in 2013 uh, and at that same time, the year year or two before, I was uh, nominated for um, World's Best Wine Writer for the Under 35 category. And I was in London for this award ceremony. I didn't get it, but that was the mo one of the most important moments of my career because I'm in this room with all these iconic legends. And all I could think about is I want to be around uh, Fred Fred, no. I want to be around Jimmy Russell, Parker Beam, and you know, I just want to be around whiskey people. And that was the moment I decided to leave wine and focus solely on bourbon. Which at the time, as a writer, that was a bad business move because there was not a lot of publications paying people to write about bourbon. But I was, I went with where my heart was, and you know, Bourbon and Curious came out in 2015. Bourbon Rise Fall uh, came out in 2017. Um, you know, I, I co-founded Bourbon Plus Magazine. I'm no longer the editor of it, but I co-founded, very proud of it. Co-founded Bourbon and Beyond. You know, just, I mean, all these years later, I mean, I'd still always go back to that room in, um, in the wine world where I wanted to be around bourbon people. Well, and, and uh, you know... It it, it's amazing too how far bourbon has come because you know you talk about kind of writing about the bourbon trail in in the early 2000s and really i yeah. mean people it was there did a lot of people know about it not it's not like it is today i mean even just since i've been in kentucky which is about six years now i remember my first time going into liquor barn and buffalo trace took up like half of a aisle, aisle almost and now it's mm -hmm. one little spot if you can find it how how has the industry and the bourbon world changed since you kind of jumped into it to what it is now well let's start with the good uh, <laughs> the good is the the distilleries are more transparent now you still have jim beam and buffalo trace not disclosing their mash bills but they get when you talk to them they get pretty close you know they they give you as much as they possibly can um but you know for the most part the the industry is like 10 times more transparent than it was when i started and in one of my books, um, I think it was Bourbon Curious, I, I wrote, like, I'd love to see the mash bills, the ages, the char numbers and all that. And I mean, I'm looking at bottles on my shelf right now that have that information. And that just, like, that excites me to know, like, there's so much new blood that is, like, pushing forward um, a transparency envelope. And this is an, uh, this is an audience, too, where you get out of line very fast. I don't care who you are. You know, bourbon consumers are going to call you out. Mm -hmm. And that is, uh, we, we live in a world that doesn't want to get called out on social media. And so bourbon distillers have done a pretty good job of of being transparent. So that's 
that's something that's good um mm. that has happened uh you know i would say like you know uh, in the bad category we've we have seen a proliferation of of um I think a bit of craziness. I mean, there was just a report that came out that like people are like threatening liquor stores over high end bourbons and stuff. I mean, it, I I think that the you know the bourbon culture has kind of has gotten has gotten a little out of hand in some ways, and it's like this FOMO, this fear of missing out of you know people uh, you know wanting a bottle, and it's a it's. It, it reminds me of the Cabbage Patch doll hunts of, like, the 1980s. You know, it's like there were mothers in Toys R Us, like, pulling each other's hair and hitting each other with baseball bats. And, you know, Bourbon's got that thing going on with, like, 42-year-old men. Like, I got to have my pappy. No. You know, it's just like, what the hell is happening here? And then you got you got people just, like, wanting to get into whiskey wanting to get into bourbon and they join a random like Facebook group and they post a picture of it. It's like, Hey, is this any good? This is their first interaction with, uh, you know, a bur- this bourbon group and they get drilled lit up, you know, called everything from a tater to like a noob and basically just get chased out, you know? And that's, and that's a little bit, you know, if, if you're in that circle, it can be like, you know, funny, but I mean, there's a lot of weird shit happening right now on the consumer side, on the socials aspect, and I don't, I don't know if I like that, but I think the worst thing happening right now, uh, in in, in bourbon is, is the pricing. Um, there's a lot of brands that they can't help it; they have to price themselves high. But uh, bourbon has always been like the everyday person's drink. You know, it was not marked up uh, to Scotch levels. And, you know, it's bourbon's beginning to price itself out of the people who brought it to the dance. And that scares me um, as as long as Wild Turkey and Maker's Mark can be purchased, you know, we'll be OK. But the minute that those bottles have to go to sixty dollars just to be competitive in the market, we're 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 in trouble. You know, we've we've lost the. Uh, the root of why bourbon is but you know bourbon is uh, bourbon is less expensive to make than something like armagnac so i i don't think we'll ever get there and i think that there'll always be like a value proposition in bourbon but it's it's dangerous right now it's dangerous you know i mean i have i mean there are new people coming into the game that they walk into a liquor store you they you they want something that's good you point them to four rows of single barrel they're like oh you know that's kind of cheap it's only like 35 40 bucks you know i was hoping to get something that was 200 i mean this is how ha- this happens every day and so uh, the liquor store owner is like well i have this and it's a bottle of blue run or four gate or you know some kind of sourced whiskey that has been marked up so the people can get um the people who own those brands can actually get a profit now those brands there's nothing wrong with what they're doing i'm just saying that you have people who are turning down very very good whiskey based on the fact that it's a hundred dollars less expensive and i just i just think there's something wrong with that and there's nothing that we can do to educate people we've tried it you know but you know the, the liquor stores are making money off of it i mean it's a there's a whole weird 
thing happening with the pricing and the purchasing of, of bourbon. And I would love to sit down with an economics professor. Uh, actually, I might call one and just to find out what the fuck is going on. Like, is there's, there's got to be like some kind of human weird thing in our brain that you know gets people well, to do this i was gonna say it's like the was it burger king or one of them i, I don't know if it's true i at least seen it on the internet they they priced like lower than mcdonald's like the big mac and people just didn't believe it was better so they just never yeah. bought it <laughs> so like i don't know maybe there's something weird with with people yeah. i'm i'm of the mindset you know drink it how you like it with who you like i mean that just you know if you you like putting something in with coke or whatever drink it neat i mean as long as you're enjoying it that's yeah that's a i've good never thing. been i've never been one to tell someone how to uh how to drink it uh, i i will say that if it's if we're having like an i get hired a lot for like uh an analytical kind of stuff and people bring me in to like teach them how to be a professional taster and you know that that is like that is my classroom we're not adding water to it on the first taste this isn't an enjoyment process. This is like being a critic, you know. So, you know, that's a little different. Uh, a man, like, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of macho guys like, oh, don't be putting ice in there. They put ice in their whiskey at some point. You know, it just, it's, you're going on. And listen, I'll tell you right now, I drink Jack and Coke. If I'm at a festival, it's hot. Uh, I'll have a ginger ale and Jack or Beam. Uh, or Jack and Coke. I mean, it just that's it's good. And I don't want to be you know out in the mosh pit uh, in 110 degrees with with straight whiskey in my flask. I mean, I need something to cool it down a little bit because I'm in a mosh pit now. Granted, the mosh pit days are a little slower than they used to, but <laughs> by God, I still got it in me. I'm I'm good for one push, probably. But uh, anyway. Well, I was going to say, I mean, do you drink anything? I mean, you're kind of talking, you, know, you you do a little mixing every every now and then. I mean, are you enjoying anything besides bourbon and whiskey? I mean, is there beer or barrel-aged? Oh, Jonathan, yes, absolutely. I'm a, you know, I'm a, I'm a rum, rum head. I love Armagnacs. Um, I love brandies. There's one spirit I loathe. And, you know, I don't I don't touch. Um, but for the most part, I'm a fan of, of, of most things now in the beer world. Um, you know, so, I mean, I've written books on rum and I've written a book on mead. Like I, I make my own mead from time to time. And I I am not um, in the beer world. And I know I know you're a fan of, of hops. But I'm not. I'm not a big fan of of hops. And I don't cover beer, so I'm just a consumer of beer. I love Pilsners. I love lagers. I love oatmeal stouts. Uh, I I like the the thing with with the hops, man. In my research of whiskey women, I I came across, like, all these brewsters. These were women who who brewed, uh, like, 1,200 to 1,500. And hops were, you know, kind of, you know, in this time frame and up into the 1700s were circulating. And women played a role in hops. But there was a particular village in England that all of these Brewsters were blocking the use of hops in, um, in, in, in brewing. And when they when you ba- they basically got pushed into why 
it was because like it made their husbands fart all the time you know or they made them really gassy and and i i remember i'm not gonna say that's me but i my i feel very different after drinking a very hoppy beer like several of them than i do if i'm drinking a clean crisp you know lager plus i'm trying to lose weight and jonathan you know you're a skinny fella you know you probably you probably don't uh you probably have a high metabolism I look I at a cheesecake. <laughs> I look at a cheesecake and it goes straight to my hips, you know. So I gotta be I gotta be careful with the calorie intake, and I can regulate spirits a whole lot easier than I can regulate beers. But See, I'm I'm kind of like the the opposite. I I can regulate my beer. I know when I'm getting a little too too much. It's it's the whiskey that gets the best of me, uh, but I'm still learning learning that one. Um, you, 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 you know, you talk about writing. I, I'm a, a writer. That's my day job now is PR. I used to be in newspapers. Um, so you're speaking about oh, like love you. language. Yeah. yeah. Well, I got out of the business just at the right time. Well, uh, you know, the newspaper industry, that's a whole nother discussion, but yeah, it's, uh, whew. yeah. But I mean, you, you're a writer. I mean, what, what is it that drew, drew you into writing? Like, cause I mean, like in high school, I hated it, and then somehow I ended up becoming an editor of a newspaper, and I don't well, understand how that worked. But yeah, this is this is a this is a uh, a poignant moment for me. Uh, so I was uh, I was in FFA. Uh, it was formerly called like Future Farmers of America, and I I was showing pigs and sheep and doing all this stuff, and I had a bunch of animals like growing up. And we had uh, we were winning all of these shows across the county and state, and and my um, my ag teacher pulled me aside one day and said, "Hey, why don't you start writing articles and faxing them over to the Oklahoma County newspaper?" And so I did. You know, I mean, I typed it up on like uh, the electronic typewriter, and I faxed it over to uh to the newspaper that thursday it was printed and i was like wow <laughs> this is my story and there's some commas changed some words changed and stuff like that but i was like i was hooked i was like that was that was the moment i mean i've looked at some of my early writing oh god it was horrid <laughs> but i was like i have to do this the county newspaper ended up giving me a column I was like, at that point, I wanted to be a veterinarian. I changed all of that to want to be a journalist. And it, um, but, you know, it's still kind of like you're in a high school. You don't know what the hell you want to do. Yeah. I am in my senior year of English. And my, um, my English teacher is going around the room wanting to know what people want to do with their lives. I'm really proud of this because this is English class. You know, this teacher had been, you know, really, maybe, I don't know if it was my senior year or junior. It was, it was in fucking high school at some point. And I, she uh, she was someone who meant a lot to me because she taught me Thoreau, uh, Walden. Like, I mean, I learned a lot through her. She was a very passionate, you know, teacher. And everyone was going around the room and she was complimenting them and what have you. It was my turn and she asked that question. I said I wanted to be a writer. And she stopped and she looked at me and she said, yeah, I think you should be a welder. 
because I'm, you know, at the same time, I am in, I'm in like FFA and welding is one of my curriculum. And I was like, I wasn't hurt. I was fucking pissed. And I was like, I'm going to show you. You know, I, I and this was around the time that it became public that Michael Jordan had gotten cut from his basketball team like a sophomore year. And I was like that I was livid about this and I was like this was my fuel. This became like my battle cry for everything. And I, I went to Oklahoma State, got a degree in agricultural communications, right for the school newspaper. Um, I was the youngest copy editor at the Daily Oklahoman in um at, at that paper's history at that time you know i did all of these things that was just kind of like i'll show you and um and that that was always that was always it and you know i mean kind of like i was saying before you know writing is not like you want to do it and you wake up your fucking hemingway you have to pay your dues and you have to work and you have to find your voice and and you know, and I would go through a lot of different things and steps in my life uh, to, the, you know, to where I am now. But, but yeah, so that is that is how um, that is how I became a writer. Well, and it t- seems to turn out okay. I mean, you're a best-selling author, so I mean, I, I think well, you, you, <laughs> you know, it's funny. Like, like I've legitimately made. I think I've made five lists. Like these, like um, these these best-selling author lists there's like so many different lists and when i made i made the wall street journal bestseller list and i think i made the boston globe bestseller list but they don't amount to jack shit you know they really don't like they're just they just sound fancy um and even those people who've made like the new york times bestseller list which that's the creme de la creme you know they still they still uh you know, if if they don't keep if they don't have a book that has a life that keeps on going, I mean, you you write a book and you put all this effort into it and everything, and then then it's like it doesn't keep selling. You know, it's gone. You don't get any money out of it. Uh, it's the bestseller lists are they're nice, but I'm I'm more proud of a, of a lot of other things. That's usually what people want to lead with with me, but um, there's uh, uh, there's definitely a lot of other a lot of other things to me that make me feel more proud of like, you know, what I've done. Well, I was going to say, I mean, you know, being in the newspaper industry, you know, people would be like, Oh, you didn't win this award or that award. And I'm like, I don't care if I win an award that's voted on by so-and-so it's whatever, you know, especially like press associations and and things like that. And like, it's, you know, sometimes it's, they just pick the top three off a pile. I'm more excited when I've written something, someone comes back and says, that was amazing. I'll, I'll never forget. I was I was a sports reporter, and someone was like, I had done a little feature on a kid and playing baseball, and they when he was signing to go to college, their their family asked me to write the story, the signing story. I was like, well, that's a lot of pressure, but I, I love that. That was more meaningful yeah. to me than, than than anything else. And you know, you you've written a bunch of books. I mean, are, are there any that was more more fun to do, or are they all like kids and they're all your favorites? I mean. Yeah, I mean, they all are like kids, but, you know, my favorite book that I've ever written was Bourbon, The Rise, Fall, and Rebirth of American Whiskey uh, because of all the 
the first source and new information on the history of bourbon that was in that book. And, you know, there was a lot of the history of bourbon had been oral up until that point uh, and, and or from distillery, uh, you know, communication. And I dug through tax records, congressional testimony, uh, old newspaper clips, and things like that. And one of the things that has always been wrong in, in the story of bourbon history has been prohibition, like how medicinal whiskey worked. And, and uh, that, was a, that was an entire chapter for me. Uh, I, I just am so proud of, of bringing that to the forefront. Um, and, and, you know, that one won my biggest award. And it was like, that was one where, like, I read, I read distillery tax records for fun. That is no <laughs> bullshit. Like, I, I enjoy reading what large distiller uh, in Pennsylvania, you know, what they had to pay to the government in 1952 like that stuff excites me um but yeah weird but well, that's the uh that's the kind of stuff that like uh, just my approach toward research is is um uh, is getting first sources and so that was that that book was was all first source a pretty close second is whiskey women uh whiskey women you know, when I die will probably be the most important thing that I've written because it opened the door. Um, and again, I, I say this very candidly. It's a real shame that it took someone to write this in 2013. I was shocked of all the whiskey books and publications and things that have been out there that no one had written this before. I was shocked. And... I was really, uh, really, um, really proud of that work, and and that one will I think will definitely stand the, the test of time. If I could go back and rewrite a few things, I probably would, but it's um, it, it, it's it's one that is is really really important uh, in the in the future of whiskey because women, in my opinion, are are far more creative and important um, to to the rise and future of, of whiskey. Well, they're they're bringing in some fresh ideas. I remember talking to uh, um, Nicole Austin down at, at Georgia Dickel, and just some of the things that she was saying and where she was getting inspiration from was something I hadn't heard from from others. And I've only been doing this for a little while, but that was just yeah, uh, you know. Uh, and, and, and Nicole Austin, you know, Nicole's great. You know, she's she's um she's part of like uh um you know she was a coming on on around 2000 we can't kind of came up around the same time but you know she's amazing and what she's doing at dickel is like and for any distiller to have a face and stand out within the within the parent company diageo you're doing amazing you know, it's it's a hard company to stand out in because they're publicly traded. They're about the dollar and getting you know, making more money and all that stuff. They're not about building you as a personality. And she hasn't lost her personality. And if anything, she's gained on it because she's gotten more credibility because she's, you know, 
she's been doing things that people don't know. And and then when the whiskey comes out, we're like, holy shit, this is only thirty five bucks. This is awesome, you know. So, uh, yeah, I think the world of Nicole. And and it's and it's not it, it it's it's um the one thing that I do sincerely um dislike about a lot of um, the kind of the old school whiskey was how some of the women were treated. There was a woman who was up for master distiller in the 1940s at a very prominent facility. But this was a time when women didn't wear pants and they got um, they turned her down because they were afraid of how men would how men would walk underneath the stairs and look up look uh, look at her and and I could hear it in her voice when I was interviewing her and I did so she's the one of the very few anonymous sources I've ever used in my career I could hear it in her voice how much that pained her and I just thought to myself we lost one an incredibly talented chemist and distiller because of 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 the times and she went on to be a food chemist somewhere else had an incredible career retired all that and and looked in back in a rearview mirror with kind of like me with my English teacher like fuck you but you could hear it in her voice when I interviewed her like how much that hurt her and that you know that is um, that's a good thing that we're moving further and further away from that mentality that's all i yeah all i think well it's it hasn't been as quick as i I think many of us would hope Uh, but it's definitely gotten a a lot better well i tell Uh, you what if you have that mentality right now um in 2021 then you know we don't got time i I don't got time for you i mean i wish you the best but you know and if you make whiskey great I'll still taste it, but like it's time, it's time to give you know women absolute equal treatment in the distilling room. Uh, I'll just I'll just say that like it is we're we are far past um, that conversation in my opinion. Women have proven themselves, and to me, like uh, when I'm when I'm formulating a when I'm formulating a panel for one of my conferences or events, I don't do I don't do whiskey women and whiskey panels. I put women in the rightful place in the panel that they deserve to be on. It has nothing to do with their gender or the color of their skin. It has to do with it that they deserve to be on that panel and they have something to offer. And that is where we need to be. So we need to get past like, oh, look, women are in whiskey. That is, you know, that is not the conversation we should be having. It's like it's it is a it is that they deserve to be on the same panel as men and thought of the same as men they are absolute equals and i i will tell you too like they're kicking ass and they're the whiskey doesn't lie whiskey does not lie blind taste uh, nicole austin's whiskey mm-hmm. uh or marianne's whiskey and uh you tell me uh how it fares and you know it usually comes out in the near the top no, I, I I'm right right there with you, and and I, I'm hopeful to to see them get get the rightful place and 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 the accolades they deserve. 
you know, you, you've, you've interviewed a, a ton of, of people, whether that's, you know, through Bourbon Pursuit or even the Fred Minnick show. What, what's it like talking to some of these famous people that some would just be in awe to be in the same room and you're sharing pours of 1940s bourbon and 1930s and 50s and all these, these random pours with? Yeah, I, I, I think being in the military, you know, really, really prepared me well you know, for famous people, because when you're a, when you're a, you know, a shit scrubbing private or specialist, you know, a sergeant major is like a God, like a sergeant major just walks around every so often and got the perfect press uniform, all these fucking patches, got a combat patch on. I mean, the dude pisses like acid. You think like (laughs) this guy will kick my ass if I look at him sideways and he comes up to you and gives you a coin and you're like, Oh my God, now, those the those are the people that I get like in awe of. I I get in awe of of service people um, who really fucking just crushed it, you know. And that's that will always be where you know who gets me excited to be around. Celebrities, you know, they get they're they're interesting to a point my whole thing is is like breaking through whatever it is that's there that veil and usually i've broken through between the second or third bourbon (laughs) and and they're like really being them and they're just people you know they're just people wanting to have a conversation now, granted, there might be like some whack job hiding in the bushes with a camera and their <laughs> pants off uh, to take a picture of them, but they're still, you know, th- that's a that's a whole nother issue. Uh, there, you know, fame comes with consequences, and and that's one of them. But you look at you look at my uh, uh, you look at my interview with like Peyton Manning and Peyton. The guy spent more. They spent more time asking me questions, and that tends to be what happens: is that they, uh, a lot of people, just get really fascinated and curious in the space, and and it's just to me, it's just just having a conversation. Um, you know, my uh, you know before before anything that was on camera, you know, I was just taking notes with a with a pen and paper or a recorder, and I the one thing that I have never been afraid of or bashful of is asking someone uh, a hard question or a stupid question like if you know where the e comes from in your last name green you know <laughs> so I, i've never been bashful of that my father wasn't my brother wasn't my seven-year-old isn't like it's just like it's just some kind of genetic trait um that probably makes me annoying to like three quarters of the population who hears me I mean, is is there has there ever been one that you that you look back and was like that was my, one of my favorite, and and then kind of like the opposite? Is there one you're like, ooh, I don't ever think yeah, I want to talk uh, to them again, if you're allowed to say uh, <laughs> or want to shit. say? Yeah, no, I don't. I don't give a shit. Um, <laughs> hmm. There uh, and I and it's not because I can't. There's it's not because I don't want to say his name. It's because I can't remember it. But I butchered this guy's name so bad. It was like some kind of like European name that had like five Q's in it or something. 
and I, I just I just butchered it. And it would have been an easy Google for me to like find out what it was. It was pretty unpro unprofessional. The ones that I, I dislike are the ones from my performance in it uh, and not my and not the sources like it's not them. It's me. Like I never I never get uh, upset with like a, a source or anything like that. Um, uh, you know, probably, you know, my favorite interview of all time was when I interviewed Ed Foote at the Kentucky Derby Museum. It was uh, part of my series, the Legend series. Ed Foote was the last master distiller for Stitzel Weller, which was, of course, the famed distillery that Pappy Van Winkle uh, started and, you know, all this crazy whiskey came from. You know, because it never... You know, that was the first time that anyone had ever really given him any kind of, like, credit in public. Uh, I felt the same about my, you know, Greg Metz uh, interview, which Greg at the time was the master distiller for MGP, making all this incredible rye and bourbon for people. I think this was in 2012, and people didn't know who he was, and so this was, like, my moment to show people. And so I think my distiller interviews... Uh, earlier in my career uh, I think of very very fondly now in terms of um, in terms of my uh, celebrity interviews um, I am I kind of teased it a little bit but I'm a big like heavy metal fan I like all music but heavy metal relaxes me um, and I got the interview I've interviewed both Metallica Slipknot which are the two biggest like metal bands. Um, and you know, my time with Metallica was incredible because I was there with Dave Pickrell and what I didn't know would be some of his final days. And then, you know, I had a lot, I've had a lot of time on stage and behind the scenes and on camera with clown from Slipknot. And you know, he's a cool dude. And I think that's what it comes down to. It's just like they're, it's just like a really cool down to earth guy. But my favorite interview from a whiskey perspective has probably been uh, Derek Trucks. Um, Derek is, is you know, one of the greatest guitarists of all time. And uh, just the guy really knew his bourbon. I, I tend to, I tend to be more excited when, you know, they know their bourbon. I was gonna say, I mean, the the Fred Minnick show kind of started with with music in mind, and yeah, you know, parent parent parent, you know, bourbons and whiskeys to music. What, what what's on your your playlist or like what? Because I mean, you've had like E forty, Ludacris, Slipknot. I mean, you've had like this wide plethora of people. I mean, are you listening to all that or? Oh, or? absolutely. Yeah, no, I listen to all of it. I mean, right now we are in, uh, in a lot of things that I listen to are dictated to by the family. You know, so I have a three-year-old who demands hollow notes like twenty-four-seven. Like, hey, that's he, better than what mine's mine's doing. Like Baby Shark right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, <laughs> Julian doesn't want to uh, watch Baby Shark. He wants to watch nineteen-eighties music videos of Crowded House, Hollow Notes, uh, Spandu Ballet. It's freaking hilarious. But uh, you know, so a lot of that's dictated by that and. And, I, and I'd say, you know, I, I listen to it all regularly, but, you know, I definitely have my genres and I have my moods. And, you know, right now being hobbled with uh, with a messed up Achilles 
I'm I'm in a lot more of a soft rock mood because you know I feel like I need to keep it keep my energy level <laughs> you, you, down. You don't need to get notch. in the mosh pit right now. I, I don't need to get in the mosh pit. <laughs> no. Uh, I, well, and I mean, music and bourbon, you kind of, you know, put those two together. You talked about it at the beginning, you know, with, with uh, bourbon and beyond, you know, what, what's it like putting stuff like that on and being able to, to, to do things like that? Cause I mean, that seems to be right up the, your alley and the perfect mix. Yeah. Um, I am, um, I, I just, I love being a part of of cool events and I love putting on cool events and you know Danny Wimmer approached me about helping with bourbon and beyond and I said no he approached me again I said no and then I went to one of his festivals and I checked it out and I was like this is incredible I'm in and um and you know I mean we've booked Stevie Nicks Foo Fighters uh John John Mayer Lenny Kravitz we I mean we've had a lot of really solid musicians and you know, I've always been the bourbon side of it, and it's, it's, it's really incredible because we've always talked about like bourbon distillers as rock stars, and I, I feel like you know I help put bourbon distillers on the stage with actual rock stars, and that's how I look at it. Is I've always been about my passion, and I've always been about like bringing, helping bourbon come to a higher level, and and it's not because I'm trying. I'm trying to do anything. It's just like, I feel like people deserve to know who Fred No is, you know, mm -hmm. I feel like he should be a household name. Like Jimmy Russell should uh, have his own TV show you now. So that's just my opinion. And I, I like trying to bring things up to that level. Well, in, in, in doing events, I mean, I, I know you, you put on tastings, you know, across the country when, when, when you're able to, um, what, what's that like to, to be able to travel and, and share bourbon with, with folks? Cause I, I'm guessing that's probably one of the greatest feelings. It it's getting to like getting see, to see someone like their, the light bulb goes off, the cobwebs are removed and they realize how much they, they, uh, they like bourbon. That's, that's an exceptional feeling. Um, because they understand it and I don't do any of my tastings without forcing people. And I say forcing because I, some <laughs> people would rather get right into the drinking. Uh, I don't do any of those without um, telling the history. And I think history helps you understand and appreciate what you are tasting. And, and that is, the fact that I've been able to share so much of that over the years is, and I, I haven't done, I mean, I mean, I've given event tasting talks, you know, since 2010, I mean, I'm probably, I'm probably close to, you know, probably looking at a hundred thousand a year, probably last year was a little lighter because of it was all virtual, but it was like 20, 30,000 people. But, a large number of people uh, I've talked to um, in the past uh, in the past decade. And w when you travel, I've always been curious about this, especially people that love bourbon. Do you take like an extra bag so you can like you know bring bring some some goodies back with you that that you can't get here in Kentucky? No, 
Uh, I no, I I don't do that. Um, if I'm going to a place, uh, it's like that. Um, I will. It's usually overseas, and I found that it's better to like do it inside a box, like create like a box around it, like suitcases. Uh get fucked with and they get pushed around hard and a bottle is not meant to be in a suitcase you know it's just not no matter how well you preserve it wrap it you know it's going to get banged around jostled but if you if you create a box that is uh standing upright you got the right packaging in there it's just gonna be like it's on a, U uh, a ups flight and so that's that's always been my motto and the um, the TSA is less likely to fuck with it if it's a box, you know. They, I don't give a shit what anyone says. Bottles get stolen all the time. Maybe it's maybe it's not the TSA. Maybe it's the luggage handlers. I don't know, but I can tell you right now, I've had bottles stolen. I know other people have had bottles stolen, and you know they don't do that with boxes. You know, it's there's a, it's a little bit more obvious that someone tampered with a box. <laughs> get out the box cutters and you know someone's asking questions very very yeah. very quickly <laughs> that's exactly now, right now now you know one of the one of the reasons you know you got an event coming up here in, in december on december 4th and 5th yeah uh, pill day expo baby yeah yeah how obviously you know it's not hard to figure out what it's about but why did you decide to do something on, on repeal day Although I do love your on Twitter your pen tweet of it's whatever random day it was someone drank bourbon let's celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, but but in this instance it's an actual kind of holiday in in, in the alcohol world. <laughs> so Repeal Day Expo and you can get tickets at repealdayexpo.com. It's a virtual event. Um, you get your own avatar. You walk around and the whole purpose is yeah, it's a mingle and all that, but. You know, we need a reminder in as alcohol enthusiasts, as bourbon enthusiasts, beer enthusiasts, that prohibition happened and the desire for certain types of prohibition have never went away. You know, so there have been there have been efforts to uh, decrease the amount of advertising. There have been efforts to get warning labels on beer cans that say it causes cancer. There's been all these efforts to kind of thwart the access and growth of any kind of alcohol instead of teaching people to drink responsibly. Now, the industry has its its role that's played in that. But from my perspective, um, you have a you have a holiday that is not treated as a holiday and. And and like it's kind of like no one thinks about it, but this is the day that FDR, you know, repealed prohibition. This is the day that he signed the paperwork, and people were able to drink again. You know, Twenty First Amendment was signed, and it was um, it was basically pushed to the states, and that was the beginning of the three tier system. That was the beginning of so many things. And so this is while it's fun and there's a lot of moving parts, this was the beginning of. Um, of of a lot of the laws and stuff that we have today that people don't really know about and and that's what the expo is about i was gonna say it goes back to l learning that history i i i've loved doing this podcast it has been something that has taught me you know i i was observant but i wasn't 
as observant as I should have been. You know, you talk about craziness, you know, uh, you know, in Indiana, they can't put beer in, in the fridge because it's at liquor or, you know, gas stations because, you know, of random laws. And it's just so interesting that people may not know that that exists. Yeah. Well, my favorite is in Alabama. They can't sell, um, they can't sell, um, um, donuts next to whiskey. And in South Carolina, they can't sell magazines and liquor stores. <laughs> so, you know, in Alabama, they're trying to protect from diabetes. And in, uh, in, in uh, South Carolina, they're trying to make sure that their, uh, their drunks aren't well read. So <laughs> whatever the hell's going on in those two states, I don't know, but there's just some weird stuff, uh, out there. <laughs> I think one of my favorite, I, I don't know if it, it's still a law, but there for a while, and I think it was Utah, that you, you had to make a cocktail behind a wall. You couldn't do it out in front. You had to make it behind the wall because, heaven forbid, someone figure out how you, you put yeah, the drink together. <laughs> and there's some states that require a piece of ice goes into a shot, so you can't drink it neat. So, yeah. I mean, I, 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 I love it. And, you know, you, you're going to have some panels to, to there. Can, can you talk a little bit about what people will get besides kind of that history as well? They'll, they'll also be able to enjoy a few things and, and even learn. Yeah. Learn a so, bit more. you know, I've got some uh, really solid talent coming in like, uh, you know, Jason from mash and drum, Matt from uh, ADH whiskey. Uh, I've got my bourbon pursuit crew on there. I got Peggy, no Stevens bourbon hall of famer. Um, and basically what's happening is people are, um, these, these like, uh, you know, A-list, uh, personalities in the spirits community are being paired with, uh, with brands and they're going to have conversations and they're going to taste the whiskey. And so in like at the VIP level, the brands get their addresses. Now I, I don't sell alcohol and I can't ship him alcohol, but like the, the brands, you know. If they're comfortable with it, they'll ship. They'll ship directly to uh, the consumers on whatever it is, you know, whatever law that they justify that on. But uh, so that's the um, that's the cool thing, and we've got some really solid brands there. So, well, no, and I, I I love the love the lineup. Uh, I love talking to Peggy and and uh, I, I talked to her and Susan. Uh, um, Regular, yeah, that yeah, just so much knowledge, su such amazing things that they've done. Um, I, I want to finish this off with a little bit of fun, fun talk. You're a whiskey bourbon guy. Let, let's be real. What's the bourbon that got you started? Uh, I started drinking bourbon with in the back of a pick, pickup truck in the Deer Woods in, uh, I think it was, um, southeast Oklahoma, and uh, it was a uh, wild turkey. So, and then legally, when what I drank throughout college was Jim Beam. <laughs> I, I always love that. You know, I think one of my favorite things was I, I was in college and I came back to play golf with my dad and we were waiting on a hole and he goes, hey, so what's your favorite beer beer these days? And I was like, wait, you're asking me what? What? Yeah, what? You're not, you're not, I'm, I'm not legal yet. Uh, what, what's a bourbon everyone should have on their shelf or on the on their cart? Oh boy! Or or a couple. There's like twenty. Uh, look, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm having, I'm having like this kind of like a passion, you know, resurrection conversation about Knob Creek on a on a weekly basis, and I'm going to go with that. Knob Creek nine year old Jim Beam returned that nine year old age statement, 
and you know I feel like they should be rewarded a little bit for doing that uh, because they dropped it and then brought it back and that's 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 good and it's just it's great everyday bourbon simple as that and then my, my last question for you what's been one of your favorite pour or pours that you've ever had that has just stuck with you through all these years yeah the greatest pour I ever had was definitely the um, the old crow chest decanter piece from the 1960s I made the unfortunate uh, mistake of telling uh, BBC radio uh, which BBC I was promoting one of my books and BBC wanted to interview me and I just I don't know it was the way this guy talked and he was like oh so Fred what's your favorite bourbon that you've ever had and I'm like I never tell I never answered this question to, at this point and I was like it was the old crow chess piece and they, I, and I explained how I felt and all that well a couple days later the um, somebody grabs that like interview and then post it and read it and it gets shared everywhere. And then I went from being able to find and buy those bottles for like 15 bucks to like, you know, a couple hundred to now like 700. I mean, it's just like, I'm so, I, I get sick in my stomach thinking about it because I loved, loved, loved that. And I, and I have a bot, I have a couple bottles left, but yeah, those, those are extinct. So and, and then I'm guessing you're you're never gonna tell again what your favorite one is. No, I mean I'm I'm in a little I I've I've come to grips with it. I'm just a big giant asshole that if 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 I say I like something, I've come to grips with it. Are, are you like the the Oprah sticker on a book? You're, you're yeah. the Fred Minnick sticker on bourbon. Well, I wouldn't. I don't know about that, but you know, bourbons can be or books. I'm sorry, can be reprinted. Bourbons cannot be, and that's that's the fucked up part. Is like. I've I've come to grasp with when I say I like something I um you know I don't like it but I know it can have an impact and my wife has yelled at me about this cuz she's a big <laughs> bourbon fan and like uh I was brag I was t uh, talking about 1920 old forester 1920 and that's like her one of her top 5s and you know we have we have my office bourbon, which is like where I get a lot of samples and stuff, and then we have the stuff we buy at the house. And she um, she was like bitching at me for like you know like picking <laughs> Old Forester 1920 because she couldn't find it. And I was like I was like you're married to me, and that you know this is what I do. And like she was legitimately yelling at me <laughs> about this. Like why did you have to do that before I went and bought some? I was like. What you, you, you couldn't have picked the one I don't like. <laughs> I mean, it was it was an awkward moment. It was an awkward well, moment. Well, it, it, I guess I guess I have one, one more question. What, what do you, do your kids? I mean, obviously your kids love your music taste. They love Holland Oats, things like that. What do they think of all, all this craziness that you do in terms of, of, of all this? Well, I, I'm a big believer. We share a lot with our children. Um, my my oldest is seven. He'll soon be eight. Our youngest is three, so they're very young, and mm -hmm. they're they're just you know they're they're everything to me. And they've already been to distilleries. Uh, Oscar, the seven-year-old, has been to he's probably been to four or five distilleries, and he knows how bourbon is made. He knows what it's made from. He knows the tax structure of bourbon, and you know he knows about that stuff. He also 
he also asked questions about like how musicians are managed and you know so we talk constantly about business and the one thing that we always talk about is that you know you can't have anything because it'll impact your brain like you can't drink anything until you're a certain age and we talk about you know we talk about physiological effects of of alcohol and uh and you know my wife uh is in the medical world and we have very blunt medical conversations about you know what alcohol would do so we 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 talk about it like that we don't um you know it's it uh, we'll see i mean i've tried we you do the best you can in educating but i believe in talking instead of hiding and and that is uh my my children know what i do and i'm not ashamed of it so that's and if, if anything you know their you know dads will come up to me at a basketball practice or or like at some kind of event and you know they they catch on and they they see and they understand but it's like uh um it, to be honest it's it's like uh, i never want to say like oh this is how i do it i'm a great parent <laughs> you know because parenting is fucking hard and yes. you do what you think is best for your kids and is it right who the fuck knows um but i know i'm gonna try well, that's all, all all we can do. My my daughter just turned three, and I'm pretty. I, I know she's been to one distillery, and it was Buffalo Trace of all places. Um, on, on my wife's thirtieth birthday, she was about like seven months old at the at the time, uh, but she's been to many many breweries and and has I think enjoyed all of them, uh, being able to play and and uh, and be be around just friends and and stuff and. And uh, I, 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 I've loved this chat, Fred, and, and I thank you so much. RepealDayExpo.com for Repeal Day Expo 2021, December 4th and 5th. Uh, Fred, thank you so much for having a, a drink with me and, and talking yeah, bourbon absolutely. and alcohol. I had two drinks with you. I, I report in the middle of it. I, I, I love it. I, I switched over to some uh, some Gallon Fox uh, uh, you know, milk stout brewed in some oh, very nice. uh, makers uh, forty six staves, so it was it was, it was a good switch. <laughs> Had a boy. Well, hey man, I appreciate it. 